Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean DeBias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Andrea Harrison to the Reboot Chronicle. She's Vice President of Beauty and Personal Care at CVS Pharmacy, part of CVS Health, with 300,000 employees, almost 10,000 locations that are within 10 miles of 80% of the U.S. population or consumers. It's a lot of stores, a lot of, lot of coverage. They've been growing extremely rapidly over the last few years and have forecasted to deliver over $300 billion in top-line revenue in 2022. Pretty impressive. Andrea, good to see you. Yes, yeah, same, Dean. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. I um, have so much to talk to you about, but um, I normally don't do this, but I just, I, I, I'm just struck by how looking back at the pandemic, now we're looking into 2023, you know, many retailers had to shut down or stop or limit, or some of them went out of business, some of the small ones that I know, and, um, you know, really suffered, whereas CVS and others uh, really had to stay open, critical roles that you were played, but more specifically, you use that as a time, as a period, I mean, two years really, to reboot your whole category and take a leadership position and kind of the next generation of stores and products and services, kind of bringing it all together. So I thought we'd talk about that today, but that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, so, I mean, things like, you know, you've got this beauty in real life stores, I want to talk about that, how you've kind of elevated that platform, your beauty mark initiative, which we'll touch on, which quite frankly, you guys were way ahead of the market on um, only now are we catching up to that. So those are just a couple, but I thought first, maybe looking back is how did you choose to, on what to do over the last two years and come out of it in such a strong position? Cause you're, you are, um, you're in the minority there. You know, a lot of people were just hanging on where you saw this as an opportunity to really drive forward and do some cool things. I think at our core, CVS is a healthcare company. And we, even prior to the pandemic, have had a history of making bold moves that bring what's important to our customers from a health and wellness perspective to the forefront of what we're doing. And I think the pandemic really sort of amplified the role we play in that, right? Obviously, lots of, lots of that time was spent making sure that the communities we serve had what they needed from a healthcare perspective and from a wellness perspective, be it vaccines or test kits or all of that. And we're all, all too familiar with, with that whole scene, I think, at this point. I, uh, I visited um, many CVSs during that period. <laughs> I love the drive through tests. Somehow you guys got that down. It was amazing. I don't know how you did it. Yes, and as a mother of three, I am grateful for that as well. Um, I think, you know, though, from a beauty perspective, you wouldn't necessarily think this was a place where, where you would find um, growth, because it was a really tough time for the industry, particularly the early days. But I think what's been really interesting about the experience of the last two years is the impact it's had on the consumer. So the consumer definition of, of health and wellness has really grown and really stretched in, I think, kind of unanticipated ways. Customers today don't just... Define their healthcare as as what we typically historically have defined as healthcare. They define healthcare and wellness as everything from sleep to nutrition to appearance to fitness, and they've had a lot of time over the last two years to get to know products, ingredients, mm -hmm. test different things. There's been so much conversation around self care and the importance of that and bringing it to the forefront that it's really kind of opened the aperture, I think, on on the beauty space and the personal care space for both the customer and, and the retailer. And as we look at the role we'll play go, going forward, 
we don't believe that that definition will change for customers. We think the customer definition of health and wellness is, is forever broadened. Um, and I think we have a, a role to play to provide access to all of that self-care and, and sort of the more accessible, easy ways to make some good choices in that space. Um, and yeah. so we've started to build on that and that's the, the plan to continue forward. That's smart. And it's really close to your roots too. You know, at Revive, they have a health feeding wellness index that measures all types of sentiment every, every month, as well as behavior, what people are doing with personalization and recommendations. And yeah, health feeding wellness wasn't just off the charts, you know, less cosmetics at first, but it, 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 it pretty much correlates to what you said was it became a more holistic conversation, even a couple of, um, I'm on the board of a private equity firm that invests in next-gen food companies. So food has come into it and supplements and everything has kind of come into this uh, category that um, people are not just worried about anymore, but actually doing something about. And there's lots of technology tools to help them do that. Um, one of the things I like that you also did, I don't know when you started this, but the uh, your beauty IRL stores where you can run all different types of uh, tests and, and, and agile formats and bringing in all these different... Uh, everything from pop-ups to emerging brands. I think you're going to have like 160 stores uh, by the end of this year. Uh, tell us about what's, you know, what was your thought there? How'd you get that going? Cause it's, it's really beauty focus, um, which is a broader category. Now maybe it's more what health, wellness and beauty, but uh, how'd you get started and what's the, what's the plan there? What are you guys trying to accomplish? Yeah. So we actually started those formats just pre pandemic. We started to roll those out in 2018, Perfect early 2019. Timing. Yeah. <laughs> really great tough. timing oh, no. <laughs> for, for physical experiences. Um, but you know, I think actually, despite the timing, they've actually proven to be really helpful um, in terms of what we originally set out to do. We set out to try to shake up the mass beauty experience and to do it in a way that, um, was easy to get to that that ensured that younger customers could kind of find their way through mass beauty brands with a little bit of the excitement they might find in other channels, but in a way that was just kind of on their corner. Um, and for us, what it's also allowed us to do is provide kind of a sandbox to play with different experiences, different fixtures, different brands, different services to see what works for our customers and how we can help better serve that health and wellness need through beauty. Um, and then with a goal of we can test things in those 150 plus boxes. And when things work well, we scale them to the rest of the chain and can provide that access to customers everywhere. Yeah, I like that. And you serve such a wide demographic. I mean, I travel all over the U.S., so I, I see everyone in your stores, just about every age bracket. How do you, how do you deal with that? It's funny you especially, say that. Especially, I... especially in your category in food, it's a little different, but... Um, I joke often that we serve everyone in beauty from the 12 year old buying the eyeshadow mom doesn't know about. And I do not say that lightly as the mother of a 12 year old, yeah. all the way up through the facilities that have, you know, <laughs> folks coming in from assisted living facilities and they're coming in in buses and they're shopping the beauty aisles too. And we've got to serve kind of everybody in between. Um, and so it's, it's an interesting challenge for sure. Um, but it also means we have to really think inclusivity first as we think about our assortments. Makes the beauty and real life doors even more powerful um, because it's actually provided an avenue for us to, to learn faster in terms of what works for our younger customers, just given the geography some of those stores are in. Um, yeah. And so it is, it, is a, it is a unique space to be um, because beauty, beauty is not something that's just for the young or just for the, the Gen Z or the millennials. Beauty is for everybody. And everybody in that space has that level of aspiration that they seek regardless of what age range they're in, regardless of what community they're in. And so we serve so many people in so many communities that we're constantly working to assort as best we can to meet the needs of a really broad range. Right. Not to mention men, you know, usually beauty, maybe beauty, maybe, maybe you have to rename your category something, something else. <laughs> 
Maybe this day or I'll take that project day. another day. <laughs> yeah, another day. Please, Dean, don't put something else on my plate. But uh, tell me about the role of the consultants, in your case, beauty consultants, in store. You know, they've come back online. Um, what's that all about? What's going on there? I think one of your other competitors or two does that as well. But you have a unique approach here. We do. Um, so we have beauty consultants in um, about 650 CVS locations today. Um, and they actually provide wow. really kind of fascinating fascinating help, right? I think, you know, often as a place that has a pharmacist in the back of the store, we often find that customers have questions about product and when they can't find someone on the floor, sometimes they even go ask the pharmacist. But we find that having a beauty consultant in the store actually can help customers navigate and find what's best for them in a way that sometimes just product on a shelf become is hard is hard to do. And so our beauty consultants are educated on all of our beauty and personal care categories and actually can provide insight on anything from derm skincare to how to select the best power toothbrush, um, which right. I think is a, a bit of a unique position for us, but serves to ensure that there is a person on site in those doors that can help customers make the best selection for them across a really wide range of, of again, what customers might define as wellness from a beauty and personal care standpoint. I like that. Take that, Amazon. Um, so yeah, that whole aided and unaided is a, is a fascinating thing, especially when you look at things like personalization, using different uh, you know, technologies in store all over the world, everywhere from Japan to uh, in the States, it's, it's, uh, it's now starting to come online, whereas like people are looking for recommendations. I often, especially if I'm in the cold and flu aisle, I always ask the pharmacist, what do you think of this? They're like, mm, try that one. Because they, they know they're smart. And whereas beauty techs or consultants, everyone has a different name for them. You know, they, they, you know, with a little bit of data about you, they can do, they can, they can do a lot and help you navigate the, especially, um, you know, your aisles, you, you, you bring such a, you know, breadth and depth of product. It's like, how do you narrow it down from 20 products to three that I really should consider? Is that something that they're um, getting better at, I guess, with, um, with the technology and things like that? Yeah, every day. I mean, the technology alone is helping us better train them, provide better access for those beauty consultants to, to have, um, capabilities to figure out what to, to serve to an individual customer based on the needs they're expressing. I think we also find customers as a result of that technology and that exposure are coming in smarter than ever. And so very often they'll come in with a perspective on what they think they need and the beauty consultant can help steer them to your point. How do you get from 20 to three? Often they come in with, hey, my next door neighbor was talking about retinol or I saw this product on TikTok and the beauty consultant kind of helps them get over those last couple of, of decision points in the process. And so um, that is one way in which that experience brings personalization. And I also think, you know, we have the benefit of years of data from our extra care program that fuels some of our personalization from an offer standpoint as well. We're getting better and better at trying to bring those experiences full circle, knowing what customers, if you buy A, you might like be bringing that kind of information yeah. to the background and how we think about making recommendations and sending you that next offer. That is so smart. That's, well, I mean, that is an asset that, I, I mean, if your CEO is listening, can, you cannot over leverage that is, it's amazing. And you're right about people come in with a perception, like I'll come in and say, hey, I saw this Neutrogena retinol, but you'll be like, well, retinol is a category and here's like 10 products, but let's take a look at what you need specifically for you. So that, that little, I mean, it's hard to scale that with people, but uh, with technology, it seems like it can do both. Um, the, um, one of the things I think, I, I'm not sure, but I think you were the leader in this space. You came up with the Beauty Mark Initiative, and you know it's been it's been said that 80% of U.S. women don't like the way they look. A shocking statistic in my in my 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 world um, or my view. And 
so you guys were early on and only now here we are in 2022 the ad agency model the, the the media companies not all of them some of them are coming around to saying you know what no more of this no more of this photoshopping uh we want to uh support something that quick you guys took an early stance on what 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 was that all about yeah, that we started back in 2018. And at the time, we saw a need in the beauty industry for a reboot, if you will, yeah. where, you know, there was just a lack of transparency and imagery, we were starting to see the data around the impact that has on consumers mental health, particularly on the mental health of young women, mm -hmm. um, certainly all customers, but that was a particularly impacted group. And so with kind of armed with that data, and knowing that our, our role, our, our purpose is to help people on, you know, in terms of their health and wellness, we made the decision at that point that we would focus on transparency by ensuring that none of the images in our stores use material alterations in post-production um, because we thought we could make a significant impact on the mental health issues that that do plague so many as well as the industry this is an industry that has been doing this for years in lots of ways um, and so we started down this path to say hey we we can have a big impact here um, and we wanted customers to feel good about themselves in our stores, not look at images and say, wow, I'm never going to be that, or how do I get to that? And then turns out the that in that wasn't real. Um, and so we've spent the last several years working um, with our own you know, photographers and our own assets, as well as those of our supplier partners across the industry to make sure that every in an image in the beauty quadrant in our stores is beauty marked, which means it has not been materially re-altered or says digitally altered. And so we're just providing transparency to customers that are in our doors and seeing our assets as to whether or not what they're seeing is real or, or has been uh, impacted. I like that where you can tell them it's digitally altered. At least you tell them it's like, okay. I mean, two things. One, uh, so it's also an issue with men. Like most of the macho men stuff is like, oh my God, I'm never gonna look like that. But you know, most people think it's only about women. So we need a little movement there. Um, but more seriously, the if 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 you look at that across, I don't know if it started in fashion or if it started in beauty or where it started. But um, how do you now extend that to what the media and ad agencies are saying? Is you know we're not going to back social media influencers that are doing this. So you're you're managing it in store and online, which is good. Um, are you also starting to do you manage it also with the, all the partners and the potential influencers you work with? A hundred percent. So to date, we've enlisted over 700 influencer partners and they've Whoa. shared approximately 90 million impressions of unaltered social media imagery since 2018. And that means that those influencers are held to our beauty mark standards and it's applied to all of the imagery they use as a result. So do you see beauty mark becoming an industry standard or is it just yours? Uh, we would love for it to be an industry standard. I've, been, I've had the benefit of working with some of our supplier partners over the last number of years, Olay, yeah. for example, Unilever, um, right. some others who have um, embraced this and have certainly call it their own thing. And frankly, I don't care what people call it. What we want is we want to have mm -hmm. impact. We want to make sure that we as an industry, we as a retailer, as a series of manufacturers that we work with are um, doing whatever we can, whatever is in our power to help not negatively impact the next generation. We want them to have healthy self-esteem. We want them to be free of some of the mental health things they deal with today. And if that's a way that we can all do it, given the space that we touch, I don't care right. what people call it. <laughs> I love it, I love that. So um, flipping back to what you mentioned, you've got all age brackets coming in. Uh, let's talk about Gen Z. I guess you could throw millennials in there too. You know, they're not really going to bank branches anymore and stuff like that. Um, Seems like a great opportunity for you to make CVS kind of part of their, you know, their new stop by behavior. So my, just curious, is that, 
Is that a good assumption? I mean, is that something that I mean, you obviously have to hook the next generation here, right? So yeah. how's that? How's that going? Yeah, I think it's actually going quite well. I think you I mean, know, beating real life is cigarettes anymore, so you lost that yeah. audience. <laughs> nope, that that's okay. Um, you know, it's funny. We see customers, particularly in that younger generation, very often talk about making their yeah. purchasing decisions with purpose in mind, and right. we are. A purpose-driven company. I have never in my career worked anywhere where there has been so much talk about purpose. We talk about purpose every single day. I love it. And so within that, you know, obviously we we believe that that standing for something reflecting the values of the communities that we serve helps customers make the decision to shop at CVS. Um, but I think as you think about that younger customer and um, the return to stores, we've actually seen a really fascinating return to physical retail, I think, across the industry, but kind of in a different way. So customers now want to shop how they want, when they want on their terms. And if today that means they come into CVS because they saw the item on TikTok and CVS is on their way home and they want to pick it up, great. We also need to be there for that same younger customer whose expectation is today I don't want to stop in and pick it up today. I want it shipped to me. Or tomorrow, perhaps I want to buy it online, but I want to pick it up while I'm out running errands. And so bringing some of those capabilities to life, despite our super convenient locations, right, or in addition to, I should say, our very convenient locations, I think is an augmentation of the model we've always had that um, keeps us relevant with the younger customer. And I think the things we're doing around health and wellness brands across the store, but certainly in beauty and personal care also helps keep that younger customer who's always looking for what's next, what's cool, what their friends are talking about, right? We have to be right there to continue to keep that customer coming in our doors. Yeah, and I think you'll do that part well because you've got a lot of good analytics too. You guys are smart. But yeah, the reason that's so exactly why I asked the question is because, hey, I saw this somewhere, they go to order it and you you give them this option for a two-hour delivery. The whole industry has gone crazy with that. And sometimes I get surprised or say, oh, we're going to bring it to you for free. I'm like, wow, only 20 bucks, but okay. Then a little, and then I'll have it you know, in the house in two hours or sometimes less. You know, most companies are whatever, using TaskRabbit, whoever, um, depending on where you live. So so that's why I asked about, because that younger audience will typically click on that, like, oh, get in the car, what? I don't even drive. But, um, but getting them to actually in the start, like you mentioned it, like sense of community and purpose. It seems like a good opportunity there. I guess where I was also fishing <laughs> was, what about, um, are you thinking about offering services and things? I mean, I know you, I know you have Minute Clinic and millions of users, and, but in, in terms of your specific area, you know, health, beauty, wellness type stuff, is services yeah. something that you see in the next uh, few years? I think it is a constant discussion for us as an entire, as a retailer. I think overall, I think we'll, we'll continue to figure out what the right series of services are to offer customers in our stores. And today in beauty and personal care in particular, we offer ear piercing, which is one that I'll tell you honestly surprised me a little bit, but actually has proven to be kind of a really interesting little service to a little business to add to our model. Um, I think the yeah. clinical nature of our doors adds a little bit of trust which again, I just had my eight-year-old ears pierced not too long ago. And like I, that thought went through my mind, where am I bringing her? Is this the place I trust? Right. Um, and so, you know, that's been an, I want an example of the kinds of services we've tried that have actually worked quite well and that we'll continue to scale. I think we'll continue to figure out what those services are that are most meaningful for our customers. Because there's lots of things we could throw against the wall. I think what's most important as with anything we do, that what our customers need and want and, and how we can best um, aid them on their health and wellness journey or the kinds of things we need to bring into the stores. Piercing is a great way to hook these. I mean, that that's, that's perfect. And I would trust you, um, you know, having um, some little girls in our uh, family, um, you know, you guys have uh, cotton swabs and rubbing alcohol. So that's a good start. The, um, how about adding other things like, for instance, um, you know, more of the prestige or maybe, you know, as we call them, derm brands, you know, where you're bringing in 
you know, so now you're like serving all these different uh, men, women, all different age brackets. Can you also do, you know, everything from, you know, mass market to prestige to luxury or what, what do you, or, 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 or professional really, which is a whole nother category yeah. with dermatological brands. So actually today we do a pretty meaningful business in some of those, um, the mastige, if you will, dermatological brands. So we've had yeah. great relationships with Roche-Posay and Vichy. Um, and, and people like that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And those brands have been really strong for us. We It's amazing to me actually how much growth we've seen in the dermatological space over the last couple of years. And I think it goes back to that educated customer, the customer who knows what they want. They're going after things that their derms, their, their doctors are recommending that they trust. Um, because there is so much out there and sometimes it's hard to navigate. I think as we look at the landscape, we are absolutely looking to figure out how we, how we make sure we get the brands in that are most relevant to our customers. And that probably will, in the starting to early days, include some level of that prestige. And so um, we'll start probably with skincare. You know, we see so many customers um, head to our pharmacists, head to our minute clinics and ask questions about skincare, about is this safe for me? Is this right for me? Is this a, you know, is the level of ingredient right? Um, and it's so closely tied to healthcare for so many customers that um, we believe we can actually have the most impact here. We're doing some testing today with some formats that allow us to physically expand that space a bit more, but also allow us to do some things like bring skin scopes to bear where customers can actually work with a beauty consultant, have their skin analyzed on site. And while that's a very small test, we're learning some really interesting things about customers' comfort levels with, with those kinds of interactions, and then figuring out how we can make that scale to some other doors so that we can help even more customers at a much broader geographic reach with those kinds of questions. Yeah, those are nice compact services because you're, you know, you're a little limited on footprint compared to the big box guys who can experiment with a whole aisle or <laughs> yes. two or yes. a section. What's the uh, health hubs concept? Is that something new or... Yep. Um, so the health hub is a concept actually that is really encompasses the entire store, but aims to bring um, a community health and wellness destination to the communities that those stores serve. Those stores often have expanded pharmacy services. They have health and wellness rooms in many cases. Um, we have expanded sets in key categories um, that really serve sort of a more health focused need. We also, um, it's interesting you mentioned that, have a number of those doors where we actually have our beauty in real life model right in a health hub. So we really believe that's sort of best of both worlds in terms of both experiences um, and where we try to lean in more heavily again on our derm brands, et cetera. When you say the model, you're talking about the, um, the uh, IRL, the beauty? Yeah. Things, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it sounds like that is, I love your word, uh, sandbox. What a great playground you've got there to uh, try new things. And, uh, you know, position yourself with partners and be more competitive and, um, you know, Speaking of, let's talk competition for a while. So some of your peers are within miles of consumers as well. I, I see a lot of people leading with that now, now that people are walking around and driving around. So how, how do you differentiate from them? You know, the Walmart, Target, Walgreens, you know, pick your, pick your one, whatever. But the, uh, you know, some are more hyper-local like you guys are, which is amazing. I mean, there was, there was a phase there, at least in this country, where, you know, there was banks on every corner, then there were Starbucks on every corner, and then everyone started noticing Walgreens and CVS on every corner. Um, your footprint is uh, it's um, something that uh, is, is, you know, can't be replicated anymore. But how do you how do you see the competitive landscape, really from a differentiation point of view, I guess, is where I'm going. Yeah, I think the footprints are really good. I think you maybe answered your own question there a little bit, Dean. I think. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, no, 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 it's too. okay. I think, um, 
you know, I think the footprint is is an interesting answer to that price, right? The customer definition of convenience probably 20 years ago was, uh, is the store on the corner. Today, yeah. I think the customer definition of convenience is, can I get it how I want it, when I want it, where I want it? And as, as the retail space continues to evolve as technology impacts it, I think our ability to be that hyper-local actually will kind of come back to the forefront in terms of making that the fastest option, making us an easy place to go and a trusted place to go. There's lots of easy you can get at, I'd like to think we're among the more trusted, easy places you can go. And I think as all of the technology and the geographic pieces come together to help redefine convenience, I think we're really well positioned to, to be there in a way that um, support customers' needs on, on that health and wellness journey. Right? So we're not just kind of on the grocery space or on one end or the other, but we're, we're trying to fill the broad need for wellness across the store. That's a really good point. I just thought of a good ad for you. Like, who would you trust to stick a needle in your arm? Well, it's not that brand, but definitely you guys would be up at the top. Here's a fun focus group. Um, what do you think about, uh, you know, companies like Ulta and Sephora? So you kind of compete with them, but whatever. They don't have the, you know, the every corner kind of uh, thing going on. But now they're embedding themselves in, they're trying to in different big box uh, formats, you know. Sephora being one that's switched obviously over to Kohl's, but what do you think of that? Is not so much competitively, but just in terms of the space, what's going on? Yeah, I, listen, I think it's smart. I think it acknowledges that, or it, to me, it's a, it's a physical acknowledgement of the fact that customers don't shop one channel or another. I think it mm. is indicative of the customer and the customer, I, don't, I defy you to find a beauty customer that shops just one channel. I think we all shop specialty and mass in terms of the products that we use across the board. And yeah, so I think point. it is, right. I think it's a manifestation of where the customer said it. I don't think the customer sees channel. I don't think they, they want to not find the product that they want in a particular box because it happens to belong to one channel or another. I think customers want convenience. And I think it's a, it's an indication of that personally. Oh yeah. We're getting uh, our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. I mean, we're primarily talking us here, but um so when you look at the industry, again, one last one on this, um, what, what do you think it needs the biggest reboot right now? Because we're, we're not hitting on all cylinders. You've done some really cool stuff, but um, what do you think is missing in the industry overall or needs to be rebooted? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to come back to my, my favorite topic on the beauty mark piece. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think, you know, do I, would I love to see everybody using the beauty mark? Sure. Um, but I think what's important is that we as an industry have a lot of power, right? We have, we have the ability to influence individuals. We have the ability to influence, you know, whole industries, publications, all sorts of channels, social, you name it. As a beauty industry, we have a lot of power. And I think um, recognizing how much good we can do with that and, and leaning in um, mm -hmm. to support, to support the needs of the customer, I think is, is something that, you know, we're here starting to hear more and more about across the board, but I think, um, we can have a lot more impact a lot faster sometimes. Yeah, that's smart. What do you think is holding them back? I mean, when I talk to the, the top 10 brands in the world, you know, they're big, they have to be at scale. So they have trouble just doing clean or green, pick your name. Um, they have trouble scaling it. Yeah, and truthfully, I, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of things that need to, to make changes in big companies. There's a lot of things that need to change, yeah. right? So that's everything from manufacturing to sourcing, which right now is, is just a struggle for everybody on so many fronts. Um, and so I think, I think the systems that we have are set up to do things a certain way. And we've got to break some of those systems and break some of those expectations in order to get things done faster. Yeah, it's very systemic from supply chain all the way through. How does your factory run? It's like another, another podcast digs into that stuff. Um, 
So, um, so at Kellogg, I, I teach a lot about, I call companies like yours BFSs, they're big, fat, and slow, and that's okay. It's the connective tissue that can slow them down, irrelevance, obscurity, decline. That's where you want to stay away from in that, uh, that little Venn diagram. But um, I guess from an advice point of view, what would you tell corporate, I'll call you kind of a corporate innovator, corporate entrepreneur, um, how do they kind of do what you've been doing and bust through in a pretty tough you know, they're in tough cultures, they're in tough markets, it's very competitive. Uh, any quick advice you'd give uh, some of our corporate uh, and even entrepreneurial listeners? I think it is easy for all of us to get caught up in the KPIs, the metrics, the, the numbers on the page. And don't get me wrong, they are important yeah, to all of us. That's the truth, yep. But mm -hmm. I think that one of the lessons of the last couple of years for me is we've done the beauty mark work, as we've done the IRL work, as we, the work we're embarking on now to think about health and wellness differently is the customer has to be at the center of every decision. We tried really hard um, to make sure that the customer is at the heart of everything we're thinking about how we're, you know, as we make evolutions to the store, to our model, we think mm -hmm. about the, try to think about the needs of the customer, how we're going to better serve the customer. And I think collectively it's easy to get distracted by the, all of the other things, but at the end of the day, the companies that win, the approaches that win are the ones that best serve the customer. And I think keeping the customer at the forefront and what's important to them, their values, their priorities, helping them, you know, make life easier if that's what they're looking for. I think all become um, really important to making the decisions that keep you relevant over time. And then how do they kind of bust through all the other 20 projects or priorities that are sitting at the board level? Because eventually you've got to sell your your concept and push it through, you know, like you're, you're, you're uh, you know, having these, you know, different uh, beauty IRL stores, having 160 of them was, there was a big capital spend there. Yeah. Um, I think, again, I'm going to come back to customer on that one, too. I think what the most powerful answer for us as we put the model together and began to scale it was the data around the customers we were able to attract in the pilot. We know that we have to stay relevant. We're, we're a drugstore. And so that's exactly. a model that has some room to evolve and will continue to evolve as technology helps us to enable that. But we found through our, through our pilot at Beauty in Real Life that we were able to attract a younger customer, which is really important to an organization. We do serve everybody, but we have to be um, part of everybody's top of mind. Yep. Um, and so creating a model that allowed us to create a relationship with a younger customer and, and be in part of the conversation with the younger customer helps convince people. And again, if, if you have something to offer that brings in that customer and helps keep them over the, the life cycle of that customer, the lifetime value of that customer, I think those are really impactful storylines to tell as we all look at deciding where to invest our assets. Great words of wisdom. Andrea Harrison, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dean. You've been listening to Andrea Harrison. She is the VP at CVS, rebooting that, uh, that company in really fascinating ways. This is Dean Tobias with the Reboot Chronicles. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you soon.